0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Abendroth. Pat, what are you up to over there?
1: Oh, I'm over here ready to roll on this episode. We're going to talk about a serious matter. We're going to talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Yeah, So serious, important, uh, affects a lot of us. It affects, it affects all of us in one way or another. Sure, yeah. But it's also controversial because it is what it is. So I guess maybe we should do something lighthearted on the front end. On the Mike, front end, yeah, we because should. it's not going to be a lighthearted episode because right. of the subject matter. Sure, but it is biblical, and we're going to seek to be biblical. I guess what I'm up to is I'm trying to sneak shopping in because oh, we'll get it's, your Christmas it's, shopping. It's December. Yeah. I realize we're not supposed to uh, date ourselves and talk about current events. Right. Yeah. But come on, yeah. if you're, if you're yeah. listening in July, if you're binge listening. Happy Merry Christmas in July.
0: Christmas in July. I'm sure they're playing Christmas movies on Pat's favorite channel, the Hallmark Channel. Okay. So,
1: right. So I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to check off check my list, and I have a lot of things I need to buy. And who wants to go Christmas shopping? I don't really want to, but I'm I'm feeling the pressure. It's getting close, yeah. and I still need to buy some.
0: Things and say we just had to do a last minute oh no order some stuff.
1: Yesterday. Oh, you did? Oh, oh, yeah, you did. Okay, I was looking at something last night and it said it will not guarantee by Christmas, <sighs> so I didn't buy it.
0: Well, you just print the picture of it, you know, and then you put it in a box, and right, <laughs> that, that's about as good as a gift card. <laughs> it is so,
1: Mike. Let me ask you, maybe this would be interesting. How about favorite gift you received as a kid growing up? Oh, on a man. Christmas morning. What would be a favorite gift or gifts? You
0: know, one that stands out. I don't know, man. I I got so many great gifts growing up. Um, one that stands out though was the year my dad built us a tetherball pole. Do you oh, know what tetherball I, I do, is, right? I do yep. He pulled one over on us. Maybe I just wasn't too quick on the uptake, but he was out in the garage for you know a week or so prior to Christmas, messing with an old tire and cement and this big pole. And I kept, "What are you doing? What what exactly are you building?" He told me he was building a dog run leash type thing. He was going to put this pole at the end of the driveway and attach it to the garage and let the dog run on the leash. And I fell for it. And lo and behold, on Christmas, it was a tetherball pole. Mr. So that was fun. Mr. Grimes but, made himself yeah, a tetherball pole. I had a bedroom in the basement at one point, And so the Christmas tree was in the basement. And so I don't know if my parents knew this. I used to get up in the middle of the night and check out all the gifts when everybody Ooh. was asleep. So lots of fond memories doing that at Christmas. But You, you, sn- you snuck peeks? Yes, most definitely.
1: I was too afraid of my parents. I always to do found that.
0: where they were hiding it, you know. You did. Oh yeah.
1: My sister used to open some of the packages. <gasps> really? Or our grandma Erna, our German grandma Erna, Erna. She used she used to wrap things like in tissue paper. So you all you'd have to oh, do was hold it up to the light and right? kind of press on it. We could see what was inside. So <laughs>
0: What about you? You got a favorite gift? Oh, you got, oh
1: I think well, I, one one year I got a Schwinn Mag Scrambler. And that was really like Ooh. my introduction to BMX bikes. It go. was really cool. That was that was cool to get. Um, maybe, oh, favorite for sure would be my G.I. Joe training tower. Oh. Orange, you know, it seemed like it was six feet tall, but it probably was right. two feet tall. Yep. But the G.I. Joe could do the um, zip line down. Oh, yeah. It came with like a sniper rifle. It came with grenades. It came with some kind of like M16 automatic rifle. Ooh man. It was awesome. That's cool. Yep. Did you play with G.I. Joes growing up? I was Barbies? a... N- Hey, listen, <laughs> Okay, oh, I had a Ken, sister who Kendall. was
0: older, sure, I played Barbies with her, but I uh, I was big into Batman. So Man I had to... card
1: revoked right here on the Pactum <laughs> episode 47.
0: Uh, we played. I played with Batman figurines and stuff. I had the Batcave, the Batcar, oh, Batmobile, all that kind that, of cool that's stuff. That's legit. So that, those were some fun Christmas gifts as well. That counts. Yeah. So
1: G.I. Joes were so fun because I inherited my brother, Mike Abendroth, No, no Compromise co-written. Radio. You should listen to that. If you don't, you should. The wiser, older, more mature, nicer, and meaner at the same time. (laughs) Perfect mixture. Mike Abendroth. (laughs) I I inherited his GI Joes. He's nine years older, and they just had like painted on hair.
0: Oh, wow. They
1: were cool because they were retro, but painted on hair and regular grip because that's important in GI Joes. (laughs) Because then I got the G.I. Joe's with the fuzzy hair. Oh, yeah. That, that was really cool. I had a blonde-headed one, a dark-haired one. I had a black guy. They all had the exact same scar on their face. Oh, really? Those were cool. But then, Mike, then Kung Fu Grip was introduced. I I don't have a clue. Well, what is we that? probably can't say things like that today, but yeah. what, when they came, Kung Fu Grip, they were rubbery hands. They didn't oh. have like the fake prosthetic kind yeah, of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the rubbery hands so they could hold the gun and, and do things very, and fight. Man. It was awesome. I love GI Joes. Did I you know ever did get the them.
0: aircraft carrier? I see mm. all these memes this time of year where I say it's the 32nd anniversary of me not receiving the GI Joe aircraft carrier. Oh, no. No, I didn't. I don't know what it is. Mm, I, I had, wasn't a GI Joe guy.
1: I had both Jeeps. It was so awesome. I love G.I. Joe's. So, okay, we probably should talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we can get into it. Episode 47, we are moving past Christmas, and we are going to talk about the important sensitive biblical matter of, specifically, we're going to focus on divorce and remarriage, but we're talking about marriage. Divorce and remarriage, sometime we'll do something altogether positive just on marriage. Sure. But today we are compelled to talk about this because it affects so many people. It affects us. It affects people we love and care about, and we know it affects you, Pactum listeners. And so let's go ahead and start with a quotation. I've got a provocative quotation. Mm-hmm. So listen to this quotation and respond with your thoughts and feelings. Here we go. I, and I quote, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Hmm. Does that sound very Christian? Does it sound tragic? Yes, I think it does, but I don't think it sounds very Christian. But it does, in fact, sound exactly like what God says, because it is a quote quoting God, Mm -hmm. uh, Jeremiah chapter three, Jeremiah three eight is it is when God Himself pronounces that He is divorcing Israel. Well, I wanted to start there because I'm not so sure we hear that in Sunday school growing up, or we hear it from the pulpit, uh, especially if we're coming from kind of a conservative, again, Bible-believing, conservative, maybe fundamentalist, maybe not, background, to actually even know that God himself divorces, Hmm. and God is good, righteous, and holy, so therefore you could be good, righteous, and holy, and divorce. Hmm. So here we are, off to the races. Off to the races,
0: <laughs> jumping in the deep end already from the get-go.
1: Right, trying to be provocative, trying to get things uh, moving forward. We are going to focus today on what Jesus has to say, the God-man, what he has to say about divorce and, by implication, remarriage. We are go- going to also look at one of his apostles. We're going to look at the Old Testament, New Testament. Maybe we should start with a bit of a, oh, I don't know, maybe a qualifier. Sure, Yeah. Let's, let's acknowledge the fact that God loves all different kinds of people. He loves single people, so we do too. Yep, we do. Uh, he loves married people, and so, so, do we. so do we. He loves divorced people, and so do we. Yeah. And regardless of your marital status, whether you're young or old, married or divorced, suffering or not, uh, every, we all need Christ. We all need the gospel, and there's joy in Christ for all of us, yeah. regardless of our Circumstances. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Am I,
0: am I being nice enough, Mike? Yes. You're being very nice, very kind, very inclusive. Uh, okay. Very, okay. very good. Very good, good start. Well,
1: and all, all snark aside, that's, that's how we want to be. Right. So we are both pastors. Um, we deal with all different kinds of situations. Almost all of the time, and this mm-hmm. is an important matter because it's so often misunderstood yeah we, we we don't know for so many years i didn't understand what does the Bible teach what does it actually teach what does it not teach? where is their hope so Matthew nineteen is going to be our text yeah if you are listening to the pactum while driving, yes, while do operating heavy machinery do not chainsaws <laughs> we had a big eighty five mile an hour wind storm here in Nebraska yesterday, yeah. so please do not. Open your Bible to Matthew 19. <laughs> you, you can just listen along. It will be just fine. Right, right. But yep. if you're in a safe space, you could actually look at the text. So we're going to focus on Matthew 19, verse 3, where Jesus is engaging the Pharisees. They're engaging him. Here's the catalyst. So, Mike, you want to go ahead and read that?
0: Yeah. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?
1: There is our question. Yeah. So they are, it's not just controversial today the matter of divorce and remarriage in right. Christian circles, non-Christian circles. It was controversial then. The Pharisees are testing him. They want to they want Jesus to weigh into the controversy so they can figure out where he is, who he sides with. Right. Right? So, and it's not a bad question. It's a good question. It has to do with morality, it has to do with what's good and what's bad. But what they're asking, Pactum listeners, this is really important. What they're asking Jesus is something that everyone standing there, surely everyone standing there would have understood. But by contrast, it's likely that many of us don't really understand. Mm. And the reason we're saying that, and the reason I'm saying that is because there, there was a, a heated controversy at that time in the first century, and they're not asking Jesus about all of his views about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Right. They're asking him to weigh in on one particular debate that's going on. Yeah. They're asking him about the issue that divided two different rabbinical schools. Right. Yeah. So the Shammai school and the Hillel school. So these are rabbinical schools, uh, factions, you know, one's more conservative than the other, but that's probably an oversimplification. Hmm. But they're the two, the two warring factions, if you will, within sure. Judaism. Yeah. And they want to know where Jesus is, verse three at the end there, regarding any cause. On the any cause, yeah. And that's really what we want to emphasize is the any cause. So here again, get this. They're not asking Jesus if there's any allowance for divorce in the Old Testament. Okay, uh, that's how it might sound to us. They're not asking him about that. There are allowances, we're going to get to those, but they're asking him about the debate regarding the technical legal designation that they would, would have referred to back then by way of shorthand as any cause. Hmm. Jesus, where are you on the any cause debate? And that means it's a debate over the Old Testament and, and, and the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 21. Excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So the debate is, can you divorce for any reason whatsoever? The any cause clause, if you will. So if your wife does something that you don't like, the classic illustration everyone uses, if she burns the toast, Hmm. if she burns the meal and you're upset with her, do you have grounds for divorce, biblical grounds for divorce? And uh, that's what the Hillel school, the Hillel rabbi said, uh, and the other school said, no, actually it needs to be something more than just a flippant, without any good justifiable reason. There needs to be something else involved. That uh, It can't just be uh, any cause. It can't just be uh, whatever flippant reason you decided to go yeah. for. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does.
1: In fact, one Old Testament scholar that is writing about this particular topic says it would even be helpful if we put the any cause, those two words at the end of verse three, Mm -hmm. if we put them in quotation marks. Sure. Now, again, we have to remember that Translators make decisions And so there were no quotation marks then Right. So you have to make an interpretive decision He's saying in light of the customs That were alive and well And the debate alive and well In the first century Between the two rabbinical schools If we put quotation marks around any cause It might help us It sure. might help us to see Oh, that's an official debate That's shorthand for the, the official debate Whether Hillel School was right or not
0: Sure, yep And the, the scholar you're mentioning Is uh, Dr. David In. Stone Brewer. Uh, We'll mention some of his works later on in the episode, but he's a research fellow at Tyndale House, someone we rely heavily on here at the Pactum, particularly when we're dealing with an issue such as divorce and marriage.
1: Yep, for sure. So I'm glad you brought that up. We are not here to plagiarize his work. We're actually here to promote it. Yeah. So we are going to quote at different times extensively from David Instone Stone Brewer. And then at the end of the episode, we'll recommend his book and point you toward him uh, because he really offers some good things regarding ancient Near Eastern manners, customs, specifically uh, Judaism as it would relate then to the new Testament right. matters yeah. like this. So when I read verse three, I said, I put emphasis, I put emphasis on any, any cause. Yeah. Where are you, Jesus on this particular debated matter? Now, before we move on, Jesus does not answer the question right away. In fact, he pauses, and if you will, he doesn't dodge the question, mm-hmm. but he pauses to remind them about the goodness of marriage. Yeah. You clowns, you're trying to dip, talk about this debated issue. Let's remember that marriage is something good, and it's meant to be embraced, and it's something that is positive right. by God's design.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's almost in a way to say not so fast about the divorce issue when he answers it, right? Yep. Why don't you uh, read So if we look you, at, yeah. yeah, verse 4, uh, following the question of the any cause, uh, Jesus, he answered, have you not read that he who created Created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and you, said you numbskulls.
1: Have you not read <laughs> Have
0: you not read, don't you remember? Uh, that he made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate.
1: Yep, that's a super little positive statement. Right. So I preached a whole sermon, uh, whole sermon at least just on the positive side of things Right. because Jesus wants to bring them back to... It's a good reminder, if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Here, here, here's the design. Yeah. But then what happens in verse 7, and we're focusing on the debate today, not the positive, we'll do that a different day. Right. But then he gets back to the debate in verse 7. Yeah. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So they're referring to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four. So they want to say, well, why is it a command to get a divorce if if there's if there's not the any cause clause that is legitimate? Mm. Hard to say. That is hard. Yeah. Well, for starters, when you look at Deuteronomy twenty-four, you don't get the idea that Moses is commanding divorce. Mm. So you don't get that sense. But what you do see, the emphasis is that if there is going to be a divorce, there must be. Let's emphasize that there must be the certificate of divorce. Mm. So, again, they're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. Sure. Yeah. Not, hey, let's get a divorce. Yeah, it's, If there's going to be a divorce, one thing you do have to do is you have to provide the certificate. And you provide the certificate so that she, in that particular case, it's the wife, she is free. She is free to move on. She's free to remarry when there is a divorce. So stress is not on, hey, everybody go get a divorce. No, but if you do, if there there needs to be one, there must be a certificate which gets into the historicity of things, why it's important. That's why I think Instone Brewer is so helpful. He says this, The law of Moses limited the damage that divorce inflicts by forcing a divorcing man to give his ex-wife— a certificate that, w- that would allow her to remarry. Hmm. I think he's onto something. I think he's right. You don't need to take our word for it. We'll recommend the book. Uh, but... History's on his side. I think the text is on his side. Uh, It's going to allow her to be free, which brings us to some lengthier quotations from In Stone Brewer to help us to better understand the setting, to understand what's going on, to better appreciate the Old Testament. I personally think if we knew the Old Testament better, maybe we wouldn't find ourselves uh, in the mess that we're in. And here's a scholar helping us. Again, conservative, Bible-believing scholar, not somebody who's trying to, to, to go lefty on us. Right. Uh, but maybe we should listen to what he has to say a little bit and weigh in a bit regarding the history of things.
0: Yeah. Instone Brewer says, It's very difficult, however, for you to get remarried when the law says that your original husband can reclaim you at any time and can also reclaim your children. He might wait till your children have become economically useful workers and then decide to enforce his rights. So he's not talking about now. He's talking
1: about back then right. in the ancient world, in the Old Testament world. Right. She needs to be able to prove that she's no longer married to that guy, right, or yeah. he might claim her back. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, in Stone Brewer again says, the most impressive differences between the laws of Israel and those of other ancient Near Eastern nations were in the laws of remarriage.
1: Seriously. Yeah. I, I'm, I That's emboldened in my notes, yeah. because... Israel's going to stand apart and be different because they are are allowing remarriage. Yes, They're yes. known for doing this. Yeah.
0: It says uh, in other countries it was difficult for an abandoned woman to get remarried, but in Israel this unfairness was corrected by giving her the right to receive a divorce certificate from her husband. And yep. then in quotes, it's quoting Deuteronomy 24.1. He writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. That's Deuteronomy one. This certificate had to be given to any woman who was abandoned or thrown out by her husband. It confirmed that her husband had divorced her and meant that it was safe for another man to marry her. He didn't have to worry that her first husband would return one day to demand his wife back.
1: I think it's super helpful. So if he's right, this is giving us a bit of an aha moment at least, aha moment, at least into understanding the Old Testament. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. He, n- there's a little bit deeper dive he takes into history, and I think it's probably worth it. We're reading probably more to you on the Pactum today than normal, uh, but as you're operating that chainsaw yeah. or taking care of your little kids or doing the dishes or yard work or whatever you're doing, uh, we think you'll be edified by this, and it will help you better to understand the Old Testament, yeah. to better understand Israel. Yep. And so le- let's offer a little bit more insight. Yeah. Some privileged wives... Of high ranking army officers, so this is not universal, but some, this is not Israel, but broader than that, were given a similar certificate if their husbands were missing uh, and presumed dead after a battle. Mm. Without a body, it was uncertain if the husband was really dead. And so the wife was not able to remarry, no matter how long he was missing. But the middle Assyrian law made a special concession for such a wife. After waiting for two years without news of her husband, she was given a quote, certificate of widowhood. So he's stressing the the officiality of it. Sure, This contained the words, and here's the quotation. Listen to this. You are now free to remarry, or excuse me, you are now free to marry any man you wish. There's the quotation within the quotation. These same words, Brewer says, these same words are found in all the Jewish divorce certificates. Ah, hmm. interesting. All the Jewish Divorce certificates that have survived from the earliest times. And we can therefore presume that these certificates were patterned on something like this ancient concession for war widows of high-ranking officers. All Israelites shared an equal rank in Moses' law the men and the women. It wasn't just high ranking women who could have this type of certificate, but any woman whose husband abandoned her. The law of Moses recognized that our sinfulness can end a marriage and it made sure that women didn't suffer more than could be avoided.
0: Mm, That's really helpful. Uh,
1: It it really, really is. Mm. So we're just looking at ancient near Eastern things. We're looking at ancient Jewish certificates that do exist. So we are thankful for archaeology. Right. We're thankful for ongoing research that can help us better understand the Bible. Yeah. So if you're struggling at all to hang in there with us, we're, we're in a sense building an argument yeah. and moving toward uh, acknowledging that there are allowances for divorce and remarriage, and they are biblical allowances for divorce and remarriage. And we need to read Matthew 19 and other similar texts in a greater context. And we need to understand uh, that there's more to be said in the Bible than what Jesus was saying, addressing one particular issue. There's a lot more going on. Yeah. So that brings us to verse eight in our text of Matthew 19. It says, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. So again, another good reminder, aiming back to Genesis chapter two and another kind of have you not read and have you not read not just um, Genesis, but also what Moses had to say, have you not read it correctly? It is true. If there were, if there were no sin in the world, there would be no conflict in marriage. Every marriage would last, but it simply isn't the case. And so there is allowance at times. But now getting back to the the crux of the matter, I like the word crux, crux. Uh, getting back to this matter regarding the Hillel debate, verse 9 says of Matthew 19, and I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So in other words, as far as the debate at hand goes... Regarding what you're asking me about the Hillel, any cause debate, Jesus clearly disagrees with the, any, any cause position, right? Yeah. So connect once you can look at your Bible again, draw a line <laughs> from verse three to verse nine Yeah, yeah. and Jesus answers that. But I've got three stars here in my notes saying, but notice this. If you do the any cause flippant kind of divorce, you will be committing adultery upon marrying another because your first marriage was never legitimately broken. Hmm. The any cause thing doesn't legitimately break the marriage covenant. It doesn't legitimately break the covenant vows. So burning the toast is not breaking your marriage vows. So neither is just getting a divorce because you happen to feel like it or you want to move on to someone or something else. So as far as the debate goes, two schools, Jesus sides against the Hallel Cavalier approach to such things. Yes. Yeah.
0: Right? Yep. So, Pat, at this point, let's, let's come up for air for a bit here and acknowledge and, and see that there are some who may say uh, that there is no reason for divorce whatsoever, uh, no allowance for divorce whatsoever, but we can see, even as we just read from Matthew 19, uh, that Jesus obviously has an allowance for divorce included in that passage. Yes. And, yep. and then thinking in other places in Scripture, which we're going to get to, there are even beyond what Jesus said here in Matthew 19 as he's addressing the any cause issue, uh, there are other things beyond that even that are addressed in Scripture.
1: For sure. So yep. when people like Harold Camping says, quote, there is not to be divorce, no exceptions, Uh, he's simply not even being faithful to the Bible. Right. Sometimes what happens is you quote a text out of context and you don't look at all the gospel accounts. Sure. You just go to Mark or you just go to one of the others. And no, what we do is we think the whole Bible is inspired by God. And so we, are going to look at all of the texts and allow them to speak. And clearly based upon even the Hillel debate, Jesus himself acknowledges there are grounds for divorce. Right. And so we're, we're building the argument here. So let's at least say that, Mm -hmm. but we keep stressing the fact that Jesus was only addressing one particular matter. Right. And so when we broaden the scope and we look at Jesus apostles mm-hmm. and so, and we think all of the Bible should be red letter mm-hmm. because it's all inspired right, by God. Right. And so Paul's not lesser than Jesus when he's writing under the inspiration of the spirit or when he's writing inspired texts, if mm-hmm. you will, when he's carried on. So what, now what we want to do is we want to step back and say, okay, we have that allowance Uh, sexual immorality, because he's addressing one particular issue. Now let's move on and see what Paul says, and then let's step back and see how Paul was influenced by the Old Testament, because in a sense, we're trying to build a current modern-day theology of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Right. Right? Yep. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that is not the only ground for divorce, because we have it under inspired authority Mm. uh, that there are other grounds for divorce. At least one, for starters— because that brings us to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 15 but if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved god has called you to peace So the greater context, we're probably not really going to get into it, but some Christians were thinking, if I'm married to an unbeliever, I just got converted, maybe I should divorce them. No, stay Mm, where you are. It's a good thing to stay married. But if the unbeliever leaves you, he says you're not enslaved, and if you're not enslaved, in other words... You're free. You're free. Yeah. And I want to stress that because to be not enslaved is a good thing. Yeah. It's positive. To be not enslaved is to be free, and that... Even though there might be grief and difficulty and tears, freedom is something that brings Mm. happiness and joy, even if it's clouded. So you are not enslaved. This is positive. Therefore, there can be divorce. Therefore, there can be Remarriage. remarriage if yeah. you 're free, yeah. you can be remarried, no doubt unless we have some kind of like super stringent uh, right wing agenda theologically to keep people uh, in their place, so to speak, or be more conserv- conservative than the Bible is, uh, there is freedom, and if there 's freedom, you can get a divorce, and if there 's freedom, you can be remarried, hmm. which poses the question where where does where does this come from right, yeah. where is Paul getting this? And in Stone Brewer, the author we like, and our own perspective would be: the Apostle Paul's not getting it from thin air. Yeah, uh, he he didn't he didn't get this even from a new revelation. I don't think, even though he's writing under inspiration, he gets this from the Old Testament, just like Jesus draws upon the Old Testament and the Jewish rabbinical tradition, the good Jewish rabbinical tradition, right, yeah. not the Pharisaical one. They're drawing upon. The past. They're drawing upon what the Bible had already said, God's Word had already said. And for example, Exodus 21 is a key text. Mike, do you want to read verses 10 and 11 with some appropriate emphasis? Yes, I can do
0: that. Exodus 21, 10 through 11. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. Think intimacy and affection. Okay. And if he does not do these three things for her... She shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So in other words, she's free to move on. She's free from the marriage.
1: Marital marital vows are broken. The marriage covenant is broken. And when that's the case, she is actually free, which is really eye-opening. There we have it in inspired scripture. That's the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul could have drawn, drawn upon. No doubt he would have... So again, quoting an ancient Near Eastern scholar, quote: Both Jesus and Paul use the language and terminology used by the rabbis. Hmm. They sound like not like they're making things up or right. coming up with something new on their own. They're they're coloring with the li- coloring within the lines sure. of the rabbinical tradition. Yeah, the good kind. Yeah. So when you read 1 Corinthians 7, don't think, that seems to come out of left field. That seems to come out of nowhere. Why is Paul going rogue? No, he's not going rogue, just like Jesus wasn't going rogue. Mm. So they are coloring within the lines. The people who stood there with them, let's put it that way, the Jewish people who would have heard them speaking would have known that they weren't just, you know spitballing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? I have ne- I've never said it before in my life, but I think I it, did, it has something to do with It
0: seems appropriate. That sounds like we, the right We side. might
1: need to look it up and make yeah. sure I'm not like swearing and I didn't mean to swear. <laughs> so, so again from the book that we like that we're going to recommend <laughs> at, at the, the end of the episode, yeah, yeah. Exodus 21 10 to 11 is case law. So we can look for the principles that apply to all marriages that involve neglect. So, again, it's stressing the fact that the Exodus text was used by the Jews as an example, as case law. So here's what was said in particular. Let's see people who were in slightly different situations. Those were like—they were called like slave wives, which mm. sounds terrible. Mm. Uh wasn't a good or appropriate. But if they were treated with such dignity, let's argue from the lesser to the greater, we can principalize the text. We can use it as case law. Yeah. And we can— apply the Bible to people in other situations. Sure. So I'll continue reading. The rabbis found the following principles in this text. They reasoned that if a slave wife had the right to divorce a husband who neglected to supply food, clothing, and conjugal love, then a free wife would certainly also have this right. Mm. And they argued that if one of two wives had this right, so did an only wife. Furthermore, if a wife had these rights, then a husband was also entitled to divorce a wife who neglected him. The biblical principle that is established, therefore, is the right of someone to divorce their partner if they neglect their vow to provide food, clothing, and conjugal love. Hmm.
0: So, Pat, as you're reading this and we're talking about this case law and uh, these issues and matters of neglect— Uh, It it sounds a lot like the modern-day question of what about abuse in marriage? What about abuse in relationships?
1: Yep. If we're going to try to interpret and apply the Bible as it would relate to divorce and remarriage the way the Apostle Paul did, the way Jesus did, the way the Jews before them did— it certainly is relevant. Yeah. And the book, again, says abusive situations were covered by these laws hmm. because physical abuse and emotional abuse are extreme forms of neglecting material support and physical affection. Hmm. Yeah. We'll also provide another resource at the end of the episode today, but we don't have this from only one source. We have this from the likes of Theodore Beza, the... the follower of John Calvin, Mm -hmm. Uh, William Perkins, from even Puritans, are thinking in similar, maybe not the exact same way, but in similar kinds of ways. So it's not the sexual immorality only or no divorce, no remarriage, period. They're literally thinking in similar kinds of terms as in Stone Brewer. We'll get to that at the end. But some of you maybe were ready to tap out because this doesn't sound like your champion awesome ultimate Puritans, when in fact it actually does. We'll get to that.
0: Yeah. So Pat, what you're telling me is that the Old Testament, and if we're reading the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, it's very sensible in these matters.
1: That's a a great word to use. It's far more sensible than perhaps we heard growing up, or than we thought before, um, or we heard from the fiery preacher Mm. who says always and never. Again, read the Old Testament, it does seem to be far more sensible and how strange it would be that the the old testament was sensible and the new testament somehow is hardcore and harsh yeah, yeah. i i i'm not going to build my argument that way but that seems kind of kind of strange probably it's probably a good time to even think in terms of and maybe we've mentioned it maybe we haven't it's probably a good thing for us to, at this point in time to even think about marriage vows yeah mm-hmm. when we we take oaths if you will yeah Therefore, we refer to marriage as a covenant because mm-hmm. the Bible does that. Right. Well, where you have a covenant you're going, to, it's serious. It's a serious agreement, a formal agreement, as we always like to say. And so therefore, when you go to a wedding, a wedding that's worth its salt, yeah. uh, if you go to a wedding, it's, it's formal yeah. and there are vows yeah. and so much looks covenantal again, formal kind of relationship, formal kind of agreement. It's not lighthearted. We say things like we vow to love, honor, and cherish mm-hmm. love, honor, and respect. We say things here at Omaha Bible church, like to you, I pledge my faithfulness. There's fidelity. Sometimes in vows, we say in sickness and in health, mm-hmm. good times, bad times, richer or for poorer. We say to share all of life's experiences together. Yeah, we get the idea. yeah yeah. Before witnesses, yeah. right? We're swearing, if you will, yep. before witnesses. Uh, we might even exchange tokens of right. our allegiance yep. and our commitment, like rings. Uh, it is. There's an official pronouncement. So it's very formal. It's a big deal, and what we're looking at here, in light of Exodus, in light of Old and New Testament, where those vows are broken, right? There could be a basis for an official breaking of the marriage because the vows have been broken, right? The covenant has been broken, if you will, right? And yeah. so I, I went to a, this is a little bit to lighten things up a little bit, Mike, I I went to a wedding not too long ago, and the vows, (laughs) oh boy, I mean, it was like, I swear before God and everyone else to to love you perfectly (laughs) and all of you, I mean, yeah, vows are important, and we should promise big things, but be really, really careful, (laughs) because... We should we should take the vows seriously, yes, but don't over don't overcommit, yeah, yeah, because what we're saying is we're committed to these things, right? Yes, by God's grace, but the breaking of the vows can lead to a legitimate divorce and legitimate remarriage, and so be careful what you swear. I guess is what we should say, yeah, Uh, and we don't mean that lightheartedly; we mean that seriously, yeah, and because where the vows are broken in light of the Bible. Not just in Stone Brewer, where the vows are broken, there actually is freedom. Yeah, mm-hmm. And freedom is a good thing. You're not enslaved when the vows are broken. Yeah, So you're not held captive. I think we probably need to draw things to a close. I think we're going a little long. We've tried to be sober-minded about this because it's a sobering topic. It affects... Thousands and thousands of people, right, yeah. uh, pastors are listening. Non pastors are listening. Uh, we need to be biblical and not just proof text. Yeah. We 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 want to be held to, we want to be held to that standard. But we also think others need to be held by that standard as well. Old Testament, light of the new. New Testament, light of the old. Right, uh, We might have been short-selling ourselves a little bit and not doing a good job shepherding people or pastoring people. So let's, yeah. let's end with some questions yeah. so, uh, that would relate to this, Mike.
0: Right. So wrapping things up, uh, is divorce wrong? Just a very basic, simple question.
1: Is divorce wrong? I'm going to respond and say it is wrong if it's without biblical grounds. Right, yeah. We, we don't want to do the Hillel school. Uh, whether it's with the right. man or with the wife in our culture. Let's not be flippant. So it would be wrong if there are no biblical grounds, but if there's grounds, the vows have been broken, there actually are biblical grounds. We would go to Exodus, we would go to Deuteronomy, we'd go to Matthew, we'd go to First Corinthians, and say it's not wrong if the offended party wants to be divorced officially. They're free to do that. It brings freedom, and freedom is Good, let's remember God divorced Israel and mm-hmm. God is good, righteous and always and only holy. And so to say that divorce is always wrong is to say that God is wrong and that would be blasphemous. Mm-hmm. And so let's make sure we keep that in mind and be biblical not just proof text proof texters yeah. with an agenda. Yeah. Next
0: next question. Yeah, so how can God then hate
1: divorce and yet do so himself? So in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, I know at least the New American Standard translates it for I hate divorce. The ESV that we've been reading from doesn't translate it quite like that, but the idea is definitely there. Well, he can hate divorce and himself divorce in light of the fact that we look at the context and we look at the passage. And in that context, in Malachi, we have the husband who's not loving his wife, and so he and he therefore unjustifiably divorces his wife. So it's wrong. So we would expect God to say that it's yeah. wrong. God, How about, let's do it this way. We want to say God hates unbiblical divorce. Hmm. We, want to, we want to say God hates ungodly husbands. Hmm. It would apply to wives as well. But in the Malachi text, uh, God hates sinful actions and it's sinful actions there. Yeah. But we're not going to say that divorce is always a sin because God divorces, and God provides allowances for divorces, we're seeing that. And there doesn't have to be the ongoing stigma for someone who's free. They're not Mm -hmm. enslaved. It's actually, in that sense, a positive. So Jeremiah 3.8, God divorced. He issues a decree of divorce. He's only good, always good, always does what is good. So next question I'll ask you, Mike. What about forgiveness?
0: Well, all Christians are called to forgive, And be forgiving. I think of Ephesians often when I think of forgiveness. So even if Uh, you
1: are divorced, even if you're divorced unbiblically— you would right. still want to forgive the person.
0: Yeah, you ought to be forgiving toward them. Absolutely, right. yeah. But it doesn't mean, you know, forgiveness does not mean necessarily that uh, actions don't have consequences. I, oh, that's good. And I think that's an important distinction to make.
1: It really is important. In fact, in some, cir- in some people I know actually equate the two together. Like, mm. if you yeah. forgive... Uh, even though the, the covenant was broken, clearly, yep. yeah. the covenant was broken, and you've forgiven, that means you can't get a divorce. Right. And so it's almost like they pit forgiveness against, one against the other. Right, 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 yeah. So we here on the Pactum, and I think we'd be in good company, will say, yes, absolutely, For you forgive, but that doesn't mean you can't get a divorce. Christians must forgive. Yeah. We're obligated to forgive because we've been forgiven and we understand how forgiveness works, right. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're not free to get... A divorce, if you so choose to do so, if you have the grounds to do so. So let's be careful about this one. We as pastors don't tell people that they can't get a divorce when we tell them they must forgive. Mm. No, you yeah. must forgive, and if you have grounds, you have grounds. Yeah, we don't tell people to get a divorce. Yeah, we're not telling
0: them they have to. No, and they
1: they need to. But we don't. Also, in contrast, say you shouldn 't right, yeah, when, in fact, they have the biblical freedom to do so, and we know we actually know pastors who 've done that, they would never tell people that they 're free to get a divorce because for fear they might get one mm, when yeah. in reality is freedom is good, uh, and we need to keep it in the context of the bigger picture,
0: right, yeah, so thinking locally here at omaha bible church what what happens when there is a biblically justified divorce at Omaha Bible Church?
1: I would answer with three points, and the first one would be we don't consider it sinful. So if mm-hmm. there's biblical grounds, it's not sinful. It provides freedom. We would also, secondly, we would want to provide help yeah. to those involved mm-hmm. and kindness and support and compassion to those involved. And then thirdly, we don't make it our business to tell everyone who asks us about the details. Yeah, And this actually... Dear pastor listeners, or not pastor listeners, does provide some complexity in the life of the local church. Yes, it does. So we're not here to give you everybody's dirty laundry that we helped through the process, but just know that there are biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage, and so we will allow the freedom for that to happen. And it gets... I mean, let, let's face it, life is difficult, mm-hmm. uh, but sin makes things even more difficult, and we live in a fallen, sinful, effect, sinfully affected world mm-hmm. where not all relationships last, not all covenants are kept, mm. and yet we want to think Christianly about things, and we're not going to have a congregational meeting to air someone's difficulties that they went through. Just assume the best, assume the best of your pastors and leaders, assume the best from the person involved, and love mm-hmm. them. Yeah, And and move on, because it's hard enough as it is. And then we do have one final question that I want to pose, and I've been keeping it till the end, and then we'll get to the resources. And that final question that I may or may not have alluded to it earlier, what about other respected theologians? Yeah. We keep emphasizing this one particular book that we found to be helpful because of its research in ancient Near Eastern studies. Yeah. But what about others? And so one particular name, all name is Theodore Beza, 1519 to 1605. He's the successor to John Calvin uh, in Geneva. And so he says things like this. He says to depart from someone and to drive the other away by threats or force are the same thing. Hmm. So he's thinking about that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 kind of example, what that might look like. It may not be physical abandonment. They may not have to actually change addresses to be not upholding their vows and and, and, in effect abandoning. Right. Beza also says uh, that he appears the deserter not only who positively refuses a mutual living together, but also who demands intolerable conditions from the faithful spouse. Hmm. Basin is conservative. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some, yeah. You, some people say, well, he's a lot more of a hardliner than Calvin even mm. in certain ways. And yet he seems to be in the same spirit of what we've been talking about here. Right. Yeah. William Perkins is another one, uh, a Puritan champion, if you will, 1558 to 1602. He talks about malicious dealings in a, in a marriage that may provide allowance for divorce. I won't quote him. We will provide a link to it. Um, but that would be a subcategory for him, malicious dealings, a subcategory for abandonment. Mm. So kind of similar to Beza in that sense. Right. Yeah. William Ames will be one final one, 1576 to 1633, another stalwart champion for the Protestant faith, uh, in no way, shape, or form theological leftist, mm-hmm. very conservative, committed to the authority of Scripture, committed to the Gospel, to biblical holy living Well, he does something similar. He concludes this. If one party drive away the other with great fierceness and cruelty, there is cause of desertion, and he is to be reputed the deserter. Hmm. Just a little bit of a sampling from others who've gone before us who allowed for divorce and remarriage in light of 1 Corinthians 7 because they're principalizing. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're, They're doing what the Old Testament rabbis did. They're applying in principle. So there right. we have it. Yeah.
0: Well, any resources we might recommend other than the one resource we've been reading from, referencing throughout the episode by Mike, David Instone Brewer. Un- yeah,
1: unveil the name of that book so people can yes. go find it. The uh,
0: book is by David Instone Brewer. I think we've said that a couple ap- of times. David Instone Brewer. If you didn't catch that one more time, David Instone Brewer. And the book is titled Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. And we'll link to that in the show notes.
1: Yep. Published by InterVarsity Press. Um, yep. I have the hard. I have the paperback edition. I have the Kindle edition. It really helped me in thinking through some of these issues, even when I was going to preach on Matthew 19. Yeah. yeah. So we'll commend that to you. He has a website. They have all kinds of things uh, available to you as well. Sure. You could also look at his ancient Near Eastern studies kind of stuff. Uh, not he's not just a, a one trick pony. This isn't really his thing, hmm. but it's become his thing because his book is so helpful. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I promoted the book. Oh, some time ago, and uh, someone who's rather fundamentalistic, uh, right-wing, kind of from from that kind of perspective, they, they, they cautioned me. To you know, be really careful about you know letting people know they might have freedom to get a divorce <laughs> and be remarried. So I thought it was I thought it was kind of telling. Mm. Um, we 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 don't want to see people get divorces. No, no, not at all. But where there is biblical allowance with God's blessing that brings freedom, mm-hmm. uh, then we certainly would want people to know about that. And we're not going to be those kinds of people that say, "Well, if you tell people, they might take advantage." Uh, well, let's tell people the truth yeah. and have them take advantage to anything that's going to bring them Christ-honoring freedom. freedom We're yeah. going to be all about that. So we, we don't want to be like people like Bill Gothard. Uh, I was never exposed to him. I wasn't a Christian when he was popular. But I know people—people who are members of our church here—who are thankful to not be associated with that anymore. But Bill Gothard, I think, is the one who said something like, "Well, we're going to put fences up; otherwise, the ducks will fly away." Mm. And he used something, some illustration like that because he didn't want to tell people that there are biblical allowance for divorce and remarriage for fear that they might fly away, Mm. for fear that they might take advantage of what the Bible offers them as something free. Yeah, we don't want to be like those kinds of people. Uh, We think people should have joy in Christ, and. We want to be as narrow as the Bible is, but not narr- narrower. We yeah. don't want to be yeah. committed to licentiousness, um, loose living, if you will, or antinomianism. Those are all synonyms. But at the same time, just as dishonoring, just as bad and hurtful and harmful and Christ grieving is this whole matter of legalism. Yeah, And so we don't want to be legalistic. It just messes people's lives up. It destroys their lives. Let's take advantage of freedoms that are afforded to us when we need to have them afforded to us. Yeah. One final resource comes from the Presbyterian Church of America. Hmm. We're not members of the PCA, but we have lots of friends who are. And if you are somebody who wants to do a big, deep dive into all these things Mm -hmm. and you want to find those quotations from Perkins or Beza or William Ames, There's a really interesting paper that they put out. Uh, We'll provide a link in the show notes. It's called Divorce and Remarriage. It's a a really long paper Mm -hmm. that the PCA put together. So you can find that there on PCAHistory.org. We'll provide the specific link. But it's really interesting and insightful looking at the Reformed in the past and to see that even the stalwart conservatives were reasonable mm. in their interpretation and application of the Bible. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of The Pactum. We're thankful for you, our listeners. We'd encourage you to give us five stars wherever you can. Just for be- sure five stars. Yes, because it helps others find The Pactum. We encourage you to be in touch with us on Twitter, The Pactum, Instagram, The Pactum Theology. You can be emailed emailing us connect at the pactum.org we'll see you here next time on the pactum